What's up, guys? Welcome to uh, episode eight of the Blue River Bow Hunting Podcast. I have a really cool uh, guest on with me this week. Seems like I've had guests from all over the U.S. Uh, doing this podcast, and I haven't had anybody out west yet. So this is my first chance to uh, pick a brain, somebody that hunt, does a little bit of hunting out west in the mountains and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I got uh, Jason Bird on here with me this week. How's it going, Jason? Going great. Thanks for having me. Ah, no problem, man. It's it's cool. We interact on Twitter, talk about some hunting and some NASCAR. We'll get into that later. But, but uh, tell a little bit uh, about yourself. Well, uh, 41 years old, and I've been born and raised here in Salt Lake City, Utah. I've uh, been hunting my whole life. It started when I was young with my dad taking me up and just kind of you know, walking around. And I killed my first deer when I was 14, and I was addicted ever since. <laughs> I bet, man. That's actually when I killed my first deer, too, when I was 14. So you, you got started in with your dad. Was it like you jumped right into uh, whitetails and deer and stuff, or did you do like some small game and stuff first? Uh, we did a little bit of small game, a little bit of plinking around, killing squirrels and what have you, just for fun, 22s. And, but basically we jumped right into whitetails. My dad has been a, a huge whitetail hunter his whole life. He takes the whole entire month of October off just to hunt. And he would pull me out of school. It was the best time ever. We'd go up in the mountains, uh, rain, snow, it didn't matter. And just uh, walk around doing some hunting. Uh, it's been great. Now, did your did your dad have a bunch of hunting buddies that he took out or hunted with and stuff like that? Or was it basically just you and him? Um, it was me and him and my uncle. Just three of us. And sometimes, and I mean sometimes, the wives would come. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, I see that quite a bit. You know, a lot of people get their wives uh, into hunting. Uh, a guy that I've been become real familiar with and been on his podcast a couple times, Hunt the Wild, uh, Adam Bowles, he was talking about on his last podcast uh, him taking his wife out this past year and her shooting the deer for the first time, and he kind of talked about that experience a little bit. Have, did, did the wives, were they successful? Did they get to shoot some deer too? Uh, they stay at camp. They don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> they stay back and cook and clean. <laughs> Very much, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've had uh, my stepmom, you know, my dad's wife, uh, she'd come out with us a couple times on the four-wheeler, but, you know, it gets really cold up here in the Uintas in October, and she's not one for the cold, so she couldn't really handle it much. I bet. Did you guys have, like, any kind of traditions when it came to hunting? Like, uh, you had to do a certain thing on opening day, like go get breakfast somewhere or something like that? Absolutely. So, on the way in, there's this one little rink-pink gas station. We always stop and get a bunch of bear claws, donuts. We get up there, we set up camp, and we always, always make our cowboy chili stew. That's just hands-down tradition. I still do it to this day, even if I'm just by myself solo hunting. Uh, we eat that stew and sit around the fire and tell fish tales and dream of white tails. Oh, absolutely. So what goes into this chili? Let's hear the recipe. Well, if we have enough left over from last year, you know, we'll cut up some backstrap or maybe a little bit of rump roast from a, a kill from a previous year. But if not, we just buy some beef roast, chopped up, potatoes, carrots, onions, green peppers, can of corn, some kidney beans, uh, um, tomato sauce, and, you know, basically the whole pot. You just throw it all in there. Oh, that's, uh, that's kind of what we do when we make chili here. We make chili sometimes, you know, in the fall when we got get ready to watch some football or something like that. And that's about what we kind of what we do. We kind of just throw the kitchen sink at it sometimes. I like it a little spicier than most people do, but uh, we have to tone it down a little bit for, for little man. But I love putting, like, jalapenos, and, you know, I'll even pour some of the juice in there. and. <laughs> Absolutely. I love I love I love cooking uh, chili. You know, especially like everybody says. You know, it's always better. You know, three days after you cooked it. <laughs> but are always the best. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, we uh, it was my anniversary yesterday, and me and uh, wife went to a really nice seafood restaurant. We had some. Uh, lobster mac and cheese leftover and i made sure i was the first person home today to get them leftovers that sounds great man and happy anniversary i appreciate that man seafood i love seafood i wish i lived closer to the ocean but for that fresh seafood but i'll stay to my midwest roots and eat some of these red lobsters and stuff like that there you go hey nothing wrong with that i'm actually just barely starting to get into seafood i've never been a, a big fan 
I'll, I'll catch a rainbow straight out of the lake, pop its head, skin it, throw it right on the grill right then and there, and eat it right. I'm still fishing, but I've never been one to like, well, let's go get some lobster, let's eat some crab, but I've been kind of dipping my toes in the water a little bit and testing it out, and it's not too bad. You know, I, I actually just was watching um, a meat eater the other day, and he was talking about uh, catching those rainbows, and they, they say that the best time to eat those is right when you catch them. Pull them off, do what you're talking about, skin them up a little bit. I mean, you cook them with the skin still on them, correct? Pretty much, yep. I mean, you, you take the head, pop the head, and peel it down a little bit, but most of the skin does stay, yes. Yeah, I was watching that, and I was like, wow. I mean, they had a campfire going right there on the river where they were fishing. I've personally never really got to do any kind of fishing like that. Most of the fishing I get to do is uh, pan fishing, you know, crappie, bluegill, some, some bass and stuff like that. Uh, actually, we went on a walleye trip. Uh, for my, uh, my uh, best friend Ryan's bachelor party this past year, and we got to cook all that up, you know, a month later or so, man. But fish is some good eating. It really is. It really is. I'm I'm enjoying it. Got into salmon not too long ago, and I think that's my new favorite. I can't believe how much I liked it. We uh, we were supposed to do a f- uh, salmon trip uh, Labor Day weekend in Lake Michigan. Uh, me and Ryan and the wives went up there, kind of escaped before me and him hit the woods, and. Uh, we were supposed to go salmon fishing, and it ended up getting canceled because of the the waves and stuff were too big out on uh, Lake Michigan. They wouldn't even let like small boats out on the water. It was it was pretty wild. I've never really seen anything like that. Wow. Yeah. Well, safety first. You don't want to end up, you know, being a victim. <laughs> right. They had some big sailboats uh, right inside this little harbor, kind of like where we were staying. And man, this one boat was trying to make it out to the main lake. I'd imagine, I don't know if they said small boats couldn't go out, so I'd imagine these big boats could. But this thing was, you should have seen it. I mean, I bet it was going 15 to 20 foot up in the air just trying to get up out of the harbor. I mean, when he would come up on the other side, his motor would be completely out of the water just because the waves were so high coming into the to the harbor. It was crazy. I ain't never seen nothing like it. No, no, you, no, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll, stay on the, I'll stay on the beach. I'm good. Exactly. You're not getting me out in the water with that. No way. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, hunting Utah, I bet that is uh, quite a scene. What you know? What's some of the terrain features that you, you deal with out there? Well, it's actually quite a bit. I mean, man, you can go, I mean, you get some really, when you went to this, it's kind of hard to really explain unless you've seen the territory, but, I mean, you get up there, it's steep sometimes, and then sometimes you get these big washouts, and you get these little bowls and valleys, and those are fun to hunt. The valleys, but they fill up quick, because I do a lot of public land hunting. So they fill up quick, you get a lot of hunters. So you gotta really do a lot of scouting. You gotta really get out there. I mean, if you wanna get into some good stuff, you're gonna, you're gonna put a good you know, 10 to 12 miles on your boots, and some of that terrain can be pretty hard. I mean, anywhere from Super thick uh, timber and pines to aspens, and you're climbing straight up, and sometimes it's not too bad, and you're just kind of up over little hills, and you know it's not—it's nothing to bat an eye at, that's for sure. I mean, I've—I've I've thought I could conquer some terrain up here, and it's kicked my ass a, a few times. And, but it's—it's it's nice because you can start at about 5,000 to 5,400 feet elevation. And within three or four miles of hiking, you're already climbed up about 8,000 feet. And just you're up there, and that's when you're going to start seeing some big deer. Now, is that something that, I mean, I've seen a lot, I've heard a lot of people talk about. Is that something that you train for prior to season, you know, dealing with the the high altitudes and stuff like that with your breathing? Uh, See, I think I might be fortunate. I have heard this before from other people coming in from, you know, lower elevations and having problems with their breathing. Maybe I'm just fortunate because here in Salt Lake, our uh, elevation is at, I believe it's 4,400 feet already. So I'm kind of already up here, but I do train for it a little bit. I mean, I will go up and I will hike as much as I possibly can. I will do even, I'm not no mountaineer by any means, but I will do some um, peak climbs. I do like to do that a lot. And that does help because as you're hiking, the breathing gets heavier and harder to breathe. And you kind of got to teach yourself, like, hey, you know, slow down, stop pushing so hard. You know, when you're around 7,000 feet or so, you're all right. But once you start pushing around 7,500, 8,000 feet, you notice that you're starting to get a little bit weaker. You're breathing a little bit harder. It's not as effective anymore. And you got to just kind of learn to slow it down a little bit, you know, almost like baby steps, almost. Right. You're not in a hurry to go anywhere, more or less. But I do a lot of hiking. 
uh, in the spring, in the summer. I try to spend m much time as I can in the mountains. Uh, I do those peak climbs. And so I do, I guess you could say I do a little bit of training for it and prepare myself. Right. Do they have like a lot of like uh, trails that you can, like public trails that you can go on and hike up in the mountains? Absolutely. There is a ton of trails out here in Utah. Tons of trails. There's one that I just did not too long ago, uh, Bellevue Canyon. And it is just a great, great trail. And that will get you ready for any hunt. It starts off simple. Just a simple little walk all the way around the lake. And then it goes up and it starts getting thicker. And then it just starts going straight up. Then it gets rocky. And then you're climbing over boulders. Then it evens out a little bit more. Then you're going straight up again. And that'll, that'll get you going. You'll feel the, the burn in your calves right there. <laughs> I guarantee I guarantee you pulling a deer out of that ain't the easiest thing to do either, is it? No, no, not at all. I've done it a few times. I've learned to just debone it right there and throw it on my pack and carry that out. <laughs> so what kind of what kind of pack? I mean, is it like a, a big pack that you're taking, you know, anything and everything that you can possibly take in with you on your hunts? Absolutely, I do. I use the Badlands 2200 pack. Um, I absolutely love it. It is, it is a big pack. It's uh, It holds all my gear and then some. I, I pack very, very, very light. Uh, a change of socks, change of underwear, and I'll pretty much wear the same hunting clothes. I get my scent, my scent pressure in there. Um, you know, I got your pocket knives and your skinning knives, and of course anything else you may need. But I actually pack pretty light and do pretty good. I, I use a filtration system for water, and there's all kinds of little pools and streams to pull water from up there, so you're never without water, and that makes it super easy. So you're not packing in a bunch of heavy water. And, but I absolutely love my pack, and it has been really good to me. That's awesome. We were kind of joking the other day, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, we hunted a, well, we've been hunting for seven days now here in Indiana, so, uh, but the pack that I use actually for whitetails, it looks like I'm going hiking up in the mountains because I had to pack so much stuff for my film, my filming gear into my bag, camera arms and, uh, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And we've uh, added a new camera to our arsenal, so I have to have everything in that bag. And it's just a big thing, but it, it, it's kind of funny watching me walk to the stand sometimes because it looks like I'm going hiking up in the mountains. But it's just a, it's, a, it's a pack that you can put your bow or your gun into, so it has those pockets on the inside. And it kind of opens up like a like a I don't even know how to, like a folder almost, and you can slide your bow or gun in there. But that's actually where I put my camera arm and my fluid head and some things in there. And then it has like a pocket in the front that opens up once we're up in the stand, and I put it on a hook. It opens up almost like a table, and I can have almost like a table up there with me if I want to have a pop tart or a cream pie or my water or whatever. And then sometimes I put like my uh, range finder and stuff like that, but. Gear can be definitely really important. I can only imagine what it's like, you know, when you go up into the mountains and stuff like that. What's probably the most important thing that you need to go up on these hikes when you're chasing these deer? Uh, for me, it's, uh, it might sound weird, but take care of your feet. It's um, good quality boots. I have been bit in the ass too many times with just buying some cheapo $100 Walmart type boots or something like that and you got blisters, your toe is jamming in the toe box, but take care of your feet. Having a good pack and having um, anything that's gonna get you out of the weather too because up here in Utah, with the high elevation and the terrain, the mountains, you get a little thunderstorm that comes in and it collides right into those mountains and it will just hang out there and you got visibility of only maybe 100 feet and it will just dump rain on you and you get these downslope winds. So anything to get that weather off of you, a good poncho, a good, a good rain suit, anything really. And, you know, a, a good tent to keep your equipment and yourself dry and sleep comfortable in. So is it is it mostly um, public land that you're on? Is it all public land that you're hunting or do you have some like private places that you can go? I personally hunt all public land. I have not been very fortunate in getting that invite to do the private hunt and I'm kind of old school that way and I don't mind it I kind of like it. it I love the challenge I really really love going out in the public lands you got a bunch of hunters out there I personally know from going up there as a kid for a long time the terrain like the back of my hand I know where to go I know where to find them I know where they're hiding at 
I, I like the challenge of just hunting public land. And then the great thing is, is when you pull out a big buck out of there and you've got that on public land, that is some serious bragging rights. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, especially, you know, on the terrain and everything since you were a little kid and, you know, and you probably, you know, pulling some of these deer out while people are hiking back up in the mountain. They're like, wow, look at that thing, you know. But uh, public land's definitely a challenge. And I've, I want to dive into that a little bit. I've been fortunate enough to have some private spots, and we, we kind of pride ourselves on working hard on getting those private spots as much as we can. Actually, I just picked one up a, a week before season came in. I had a week to scout this place. So, And it's even more fortunate. It's only a mile from my house, which is even better. You know, I can... If I wanted to, I could really walk across the field and hit this place, but I definitely would drive over there. But I had a week to figure this place out, and obviously you're not going to figure it out in a week. You're probably not even going to figure it out in one season. It's going to take you, you know, multiple tries in there to see, you know, because especially now here, everything's still green in the woods, you know. I mean, you can see trails and rubs and stuff like that and kind of go off that side, but, you know, you're really not going to see the actual layout of the place until everything dies down and the leaves fall and you see what you really got which is it's pretty nice it's it, it's a small a small track of land which around here it don't take much to, you know if you're just in the right place at the right time but this place is actually only just a little over 10 acres but it's just this one big ridge that runs down the side and it's kind of like a canyon i mean it's weird to say that in indiana but like this whole area is kind of like just one big bottom where all these fields are at and you got this one strip of land that's a just a big ridge and then on top of the ridge you have like a cattle pasture with some uh, corn uh it's corn right now corn on one side beans down on the bottom but i think it could really turn out to be something um we just had a couple pictures of some does here recently we actually have a a cellular cam in there so it sends it to our phones we don't have to go in there and uh you know bust the place up looking around but uh I never really got into the public thing, but I want to dive into that. And um, I got a few buddies that are kind of wanting to do the same thing. And we've talked about uh, going down to southern Indiana this year around Potoka Lake. And uh, we actually have a private spot down there so we can kind of dive into both, maybe on a week, a long weekend or something like that, or opening day gun or something like that. But it's just, I, th I personally don't like dealing with other people's stuff. You know, we're kind of OCD on the way we do things, and we don't want nobody messing that up. I know it sounds, sounds you know, dickish, I guess, but, no. you know, you know, like you were talking to me and you were talking before, you've never got to hunt a set. You never, you've never got to go hang a tree stand and, you know, put the thought process that goes into that. You're, you're on foot chasing these deer, which... It kind of explain that you know i've never really been on a, a spot and stock kind of hunt how does that all play out a spot and stock to me that's pretty much all i know now i've seen a lot of tree hunt uh, tree stand hunts um it looks really interesting i almost bought a tree stand this year i looked at it looked at the price is right i wanted to get it but i just kept thinking to myself i'm gonna hang this tree stand I'm going to be up there all, all quiet and ready, and here comes another hunter. I'm going to trace them out through, and it's just going to ruin everything for me. And so what you're talking about, the public land, it makes it hard to do the tree stand. It also makes it hard because there's so many people, and you don't want to you know, trample all over everyone's stuff. They, I mean, people set up for a long time and put a lot of work and money into their hunts. And so when I'm doing my spot in stock, um, you know, I kind of play it by ear, really. We get there a couple few days early. We'll check out a, a few things, and then I'll come back again, and then, you know, the night before, and I just kind of like walk around. I like to go find bedding spots. You can always tell where they've been bedding. You can always tell where they've been scraping. You can always tell, you know, game trails, and I just kind of follow that super quietly, and, I'll, you know, sometimes you see them down on the ridge. Uh, for me, I don't want to give away too many of my secrets, <laughs> right. but for me, I've noticed that we got a lot of beaver. Um, you get these little beaver ponds that seem to attract them a lot. And if you can find that, stay out of the way and just kind of watch the area, then depending on where they're coming in at, you might have to go up and open over the top of the ridge and back down and around the mountain. It takes you a good hour and a half just to get back to them. But the spot and stock to me is fun. You know, I'll be laying on a ridge. I won't really get on top 
of the mountain, so you know, I don't want to skyline myself by any means, but I'll get up on a ridge and I'll glass and I'll glass and I'll glass. And there's literally days, man, that I sit there from 5.30 in the morning and here it is, you know, lunchtime, and I'm still glassing, still glassing, not hearing anything, I don't see anything, it's super frustrating. You might hear some hunters hooting and hollering over the yonder there or something, it's just it's so frustrating. But I'll sit there and I won't give up, I just keep glassing, I keep glassing, I keep glassing. And then you might see some movement coming out of the aspens, and they seem like hanging out in the aspens when it starts to get a little bit when the sun comes up and it's getting a little bit warmer i notice they'll kind of move out of the aspens but push them up in the open meadows because across the other way on the north side where the pines won't be thick timber they'll go up in there and get some shade and they'll hang out in the heat of the day up there and so i'll just kind of watch that and see where they're going <clears throat> and then if they're up in those pines i'll make my way through the pines and i'll actually come drop down on top of them and try not to bump them because of course you know if you bump one you bump two, two just bumped 15, and now the whole herd got them. Right. <laughs> right. So it's just uh, super sneaky, super quiet. Um, I've even come to the point where I've seen deer about 60 yards away, and I've crawled on my belly, and just trying to work my way through there. I've sat down, taken off my boots, and even walked without my boots to try to make any noise, and it, I've been successful doing that. I mean, I remember the first time I let off an arrow, I broke, broke that shot, and standing on a pine cone with my left heel it hurt like hell <laughs> <laughs> now when you're up there on these uh, up on the mountain glass and is that something that you're doing with a set of binoculars or do you have like a spotting scope I'm, i'm just using binoculars i mean i would do the spotting scope but i just uh yeah I, i try to go light as possible and i feel like i got some really good vortex binoculars I and mean, they, they do They do me really well. I know the land really well, and so if I'm if I need to look way, way down deep in the valley, I'll go find another place to glass. A spotting scope would probably be a great piece of my arsenal, and I'm, I will add it as time goes. Awesome. Now, what kind of um, me and you had talked a little bit before doing this. You said that you used to, you know, rifle hunt quite a bit before you got into uh, into bow hunting. Uh, how successful were you with the rifle? Uh, pretty much every single year. Uh, I started rifle hunting when I was 14, killed my first deer when I was 14. Uh, just a cute little two-point, nothing special, um, but we don't shame on that. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. And so um, uh, I think every single year, uh, my 18th birthday, I did not get a deer, and I believe it was my 25th birthday, I did not get a deer. Now, don't ask me about elk. I've only gotten four elk in my life. They are very, very hard to hunt here in Utah, even with a rifle. So, uh, not so successful with elk, but deer have been very successful. But the, the thing is, like we've kind of chatted about, is um, you know, you, you see a deer coming at 170, 180 yards across the ravine. You're in bright hunter orange. You don't really have to even be quiet. I mean, you can kind of sit there and talk almost normal. Right. And lay your pack down, get prone, and take the shot. Oh, you got a deer. It's great. It's exciting. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it. It's a thrill. And I'll go right hunting again if I ever get the chance. But I love bow hunting. I love the challenge of it. You get so much closer, so much personal with that game. And when you get that kill, it, it means that much more. The work, the time, the, the hours spent, the, the miles, the hiking, everything. It's just a, a whole different world. Absolutely. What, uh, what kind of bow are you shooting? I shoot, I used to shoot a bear, and I loved that bear, it was a Paradox, and now I am shooting uh, a Prime Black 3, and I absolutely love it, uh, pulling 60 pounds, no, 60, 60 pounds, and uh, 29 inch draw length, so I got that long draw. Hey, we're the same, I shoot a 29 and a half inch as well. Oh, nice, nice, yeah, and I, I mean, absolutely love that bow, ever since, so I went and shot a bunch of bows, I went to Shields actually and as it set me up with the new Matthews V3 I shot it and went this is great went and shot the the PSE went and shot the bow attacks went and shot the I mean I went and shot so many bows I finally picked up a prime and I was like what is this and two cams here two cams down here and this thing got four cams it looks like a lot of work just shoot it so I immediately drew back and that back wall I was hooked I was hooked right there I absolutely loved that bow So, what got you started in a bow hunting? Did, was there somebody that got you into it, or just something that you explored yourself and kind of got yourself into? 
Uh, my neighbor, actually. Uh, we were out telling old hunting stories, drinking beer around the fire, and um, you know, he's never hunted rifle, and it, he's always done bow. I've always done rifle. I've never done bow, and so we're kind of swapping stories back and forth, and just got thinking about it and thinking about it, and I'm like, man, that's, that sounds so interesting. He's killing deer at 18, 20, 22 yards, and I'm like, that's like up close and personal. You can probably smell that deer. <laughs> right. I'm like, that is just really neat. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> like that is really neat, and uh, I just like I, I just didn't know much about bows, and so I started teaching myself a little bit, started looking into it. You know, the velocity of how fast the arrow goes, uh, the kill, and how it works. I just I'm like, can a bow really kill a big game animal? And once I started doing my research, I was kind of hooked, and I had to go and. You know, got me my starter bow, and that was my be my bear, and I absolutely loved that bear. I shot it for years, and, but then when I upgraded and I got the prime, I mean, now I'm just I'm addicted. I don't I don't remember the last time I even shot my rifle. <laughs> I did it all pretty much research. I'm I'm 100% self-taught. I mean, I had a little bit of pointers from the guy at the, the salesman. You know, do this, do that. You know, use this, use that. And, what have you, but I had to kind of figure out what worked for me. I went through, I think, five different thumb releases before I finally found one that actually worked for me. Uh, my arrow set up, everyone laughs at me, but it works. And every animal that I have shot with it, I've gone and passed through, straight through. So it just, it works for me. And what's even better, I'm self-taught. I even talked to my dad about this. He's still doing rifle hunt. And every time I talk to him about my bow hunting, he's like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Some of the old timers are setting their ways, you know. Exactly. Uh, around here, um, you know, some of them old timers have come into the crossbow game, which um, crossbows became legal for Indiana a few years back where you didn't have to have a handicap license and all that to shoot one. And a lot of people are shooting them. And, but I think it would. You know, people shame people for crossbows, which I do not do. I, if you want to get outdoors, I don't care what you're using. Just get out there and have fun, you know. But uh, I, I don't see why people even get so upset about it. I see a lot of it on social media. Oh, crossbow hunters, you're, you know, this and that. As long as somebody's getting out there and having fun, you know, let them go out there and have fun. Why does it matter if they do it different than you? You know, what, what's, what's your kind of outlook on that? I 100% agree. Um, same thing, social media, I see it. I'm on a, a Big Bow Hunters you know, Facebook group page type thing or whatever. I'm not huge on the social media, but I do tend to use it. But uh, I, the same thing, you know, you'll see this guy, he posts and he just picked up a brand new crossbow and you hear people, and well, you don't really hear him, you're reading the comments. Uh, All right. People are just slamming him so hard. Like, Right, that's not, not hunting. That, I mean, get a real bow. You know, I just, I don't believe in that. I believe you use what you want to use, whatever makes you feel comfortable. And not only that, uh, and here in Utah, we do have the handicap. You have to be handicapped or at a certain age to use a crossbow. Mm -hmm. So let them have their fun. Let them hunt. Who cares how they're hunting? I think those crossbows are neat. And to be mm -hmm. completely honest, if I could hunt with a crossbow here in Utah without having to be handicapped or elderly. I'd go buy me a crossbow. Absolutely. You know, you're shooting you're shooting longer distances. Yeah. You know, you're shooting 60, 70 yards. Most of my shots are within 40 yards, so. Exactly. And those darts, man, they they penetrate. I mean, a bolt, that's what they call them. Bolts, bolts yeah. They, they will penetrate. And now they got these uh, crossbows that shoot two, not at the same time, not simultaneously, but now you got two shots. I mean, oh wow! I've never seen that. that? <laughs> Actually, uh, one of our uh, team members, his brother, has never hunted before ever, and decided to he wanted to get into the the hunting game. So he went and uh, went and bought a, a crossbow. Super nice. They brought it over the other day. We were watching some football and playing around with it. Really cool. Um, and, and for somebody that may or may not know if they like hunting in general and they're just trying to get out there you know and he's honestly he wants to go out there you know because a lot of us that he hangs out with does it you know and uh he wants to hang out with us and talk about it but he also wants to kill some meat because that you know they live off meat a lot like we do you know sometimes i can't even tell you the last time i bought hamburger or anything like that like uh i was listening to uh the hunt the wild podcast on the way home and he was talking about how him and his wife don't even 
I don't know exactly what their mindset is on it exactly, but they don't even like, uh, you know, grocery store meat. You know, how many people put their hands on it and anything like that. You know, at least when you harvest a deer, you know the pro- what process it went through. You know, you're the one that touched it. You know what it was eating before you killed it and then put it in your mouth. But it was just kind of cool to see that, you know, side of it. But Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm on the same, same page with you on that. Um, we don't buy store-bought meat. Uh, maybe sometimes chicken. Chicken, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, other than that, um, no, I mean, we got deer, we got elk, we got bison. Uh, we use our own meat. And I like it that way. It, I feel it's healthier that way. I mean, you even hear people sometimes say they might have stickers, they might have a shirt. Um eat organic and it has like the deer antlers right. I mean, absolutely i mean i agree with that to an extent because you don't know if that what that deer is really eating you might be getting into someone's crops and using some type of gmo and it's no longer organic but <laughs> right. but you know what i mean you know what that deer is eating it's you know what it's been through you killed it you brought it home it's in your freezer that's your meat and that's the best feeling in the world to, to put down a big rump roast that you would just cook all day long in a slow cooker. Oh, absolutely. When you come home from work and you open the door and that, that aroma just hits you in the mm-hmm. face, you're like, oh my God, I could eat the whole thing right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you do and you, you're miserable later. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, you're talking about you know elk and bison and stuff and you know, other game. What other game are you chasing out there? Are you chasing elk and muleys, or is it strictly whitetail? I don't really know a whole lot about the whitetail population in Utah. Is it a big population? Uh, it used to be. It's uh, dwindling. This year in Utah, they've cut 5,000 tags. You, we have a draw system. and Oh, really? Yeah, so it, it makes it very difficult, and it's, uh, it is, sucks when you don't draw out for your tags. There's nothing you can do. But uh, and they cut 5,000 tags, so it, the population used to be huge, but it's dwindling. We do have muleys. Um, you got to go a little bit more central Utah to get those. Uh, we do have some out here in northern Utah, but uh, you're more going to find the whitetail. Um, we do have special bison hunt, bison hunts that you can do, but those are kind of like either once in a lifetime, once in 10 year kind of hunt. You're not really going to get it all the time. Uh, we have a spike only for elk. And that has been excruciating on us. Spike only? Like you can only shoot a spike? Yep. And, I mean, man, you don't know how many times I have been up in those hills and hiked 25, 30 miles just to see three big bulls walk past me. Three big bulls. And all you can do is look at them and walk walk by. So what is the, the thought process behind the spike only thing? Uh, they're trying to say that the elk population here in Utah has dwindled to an all-time low, and so they're wanting to keep the big bulls from mating, and keep you know keep the herds growing and whatnot. So that's kind of the gist of it. I don't know how much we really understand or agree with it, but they they do have I think they did 150 any bull no yeah I think it was 150 any bull uh, elk tags this year, and they also offered. For the first time, I think it was statewide um, bull tags for the whole entire state. So now, you can, if you want to travel, you can actually go down to like central or southern Utah and go where there's no spike only and actually get you that big bull. Oh, that's so cool. They're, they're trying to make it better and improve the hunting, but I think it's gotten so busy over the years. And Utah has boomed with population, just insane growth. and. We're just not seeing the numbers that we used to. We've had uh, three terrible, terrible winters. The last winter, the winter before that, and the winter before that were just terrible winters, killing them off left and right. I mean, I went on my spring turkey hunt this year, and I can't tell you how many carcasses I found dead deer from wow. the winter kill. I mean, just they're just killing off. It's terrible. What a uh, what? What's the what's the uh, turkey population like there? It's great. It's booming. It's huge. It's great, man. I love it. You get three birds, and wow, yeah, you can't go wrong with that. So I love it. But the problem is, is we have a lot of private land in Utah, okay? <laughs> right. So you go hunting that public land, and you'll see about thirty or forty, you know, turkey over there, but nowhere on public land. So they're kind of hard to hunt. But I, 
I found it. I found where they are. I found the roost. I know where they are. And I got a good shot off on one. Uh, I don't know if you want to hear that story. Absolutely. Let's hear. I'm a huge. I'm a huge turkey hunter, and I would love. I would love to hear the story. This is my first year bow hunting for a turkey. You know, I'm always taking a shotgun. It's, it's easier that way. Set out your decoys, what have you. Uh, same thing. Um, went out there, put out the decoys. Uh, it's a month-long turkey hunt, day after day after day, getting up before the sun ups. And you hear them, you're calling them, you're getting them in, but they just got hung up over and over and over. So I start trying to put a, a stock on a few turkeys. Of course, I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's... No, I, I haven't done that. I, I, I kind of... I was always told at a young age when I started turkey hunting, you know, everybody knows how incredible their eyesight is. Yep. You know, you... I've always been told that it's almost impossible to put a stock on a turkey a certain a certain way. You know, I've seen a lot of people doing it with the fans, doing the fanning. Mm-hmm. You know, I think something like that would probably work out for you. But we, like you're talking, you know, you're there's so much open terrain with these mountains and stuff, and they're way out there in, in big groups. It's probably hard to get on those birds unless you're cutting them off at a certain point. Exactly, and that's kind of what you have to do. Is I mean, everyone knows you find the roost gain right there that's that's money and so that's always great but uh so we found the roost we just couldn't get them to commit and come out to the open field so we tried to put a stock on them and it wasn't really working because the terrain here in utah as you know i'm telling you it's uh you know, it can be meadows it can be like a washout or it can be stri- steep straight up the hill and if you scare these birds they take off they take flight and they just flew way the hell up there. And you ain't getting those birds up there. <laughs> and like I said, their eyesight is incredible. So we tried to put a stock on it. Just wasn't working. Morning after morning after morning, the pressure was getting too much. I finally changed everything. Everything. I went out, no decoys, no blind, no nothing. I just sat deep in a bush and just waited and waited and waited. And I actually got a video of it. It's not a very good video. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get more video, more pictures of my hunt. It's one thing I've never been really good at. You know, I've always just kind of, well, you don't get service out here in the mountains, so just toss the phone in the truck and leave it there. You know? Right. But, uh, so I actually got some video of it. You can only see my back and you can see my elbow back, you know, when I'm at full draw. But uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe it was that target panic or whatever, but I put a shot on it and broke the shot. And you can see in the video that it looks like it just hit the breast. And you see that turkey just flopping around, but it takes off, takes flight. And I dropped my bow, I dropped my pack, and I went running. <laughs> running after this turkey. <clears throat> Never did find the turkey. I, I searched for it for, gosh, man, a good 60, 60 to 70 minutes at least. <coughs> and this terrain that I was in was just incredibly thick and steep. My calves were burning. I was tore up. I had cuts on my arms. I was belly crawling under some of these bushes because it was so thick. Just was never able to find that turkey, but I did get a shot on one. I hate, hate having to leave an injured game, but I had to punch my tag and call it a year. But it was a great turkey hunt this year. I absolutely loved it. I actually, it's kind of funny you say that. I actually went on my first turkey hunt with a bow this past season as well. Uh, We did a, a trip out to Missouri, and I took my bow. And I lasted two days with that bow, and then I got the gun. I got the gun back out. But uh, people don't realize when, when you're bow hunting those turkeys how small that vital is that you're trying to hit on those turkeys is a very, very, very small area. You know, you might get lucky. You know, when you're bow hunting with a deer, you clip a liver or a lung or something. But that that size of your vitals on a turkey isn't very big. I mean, you have to put it in a pocket, and if you don't put it in that pocket. Um, you know, kind of what you had to deal with. You know, you might have wounded it a little bit, but it survived. You know, but that's a bow hunt turkeys. You know, I watched a lot of videos on it this past spring before going on our trip. That is a, um, you know, if you have if you have a property that has a bunch of turkeys, it can be a little easier. You know, did maybe just set up in a blind like we did. We just set up in a hub blind. And we put our decoys out and stuff and called and called, which if you haven't checked that out, check our spring turkey hunting Missouri trip video out when you get off the uh, podcast with us, and you'll you'll be fired up. We had this bird at 80 yards for a while, and he was up on this limb, and he was just hammering, gobbling, gobbling, gobbling. We actually had a hen at five yards. 
At one point, we could have reached out and grabbed this hen out of the blind, and he's he was with the hen, so we're thinking, this old boy, he's coming in. He, you know, all he had to do was jump down off this branch that he was on. He was on like this limb. The tree had fell over, and he jumped up on the tree and was just strutting back and forth on that tree. But if he had just followed the hen, he'd have got blasted. <laughs> but we were at where the train that we were hunting was some like sets of woods and there's just kind of big open pastures and so we were setting kind of off the woods in those pastures and it was a blast and i actually <laughs> missed a bird on our last day with a gun which kind of sucked but you know i'll get my redemption it's, it's turkey hunting which is turkey hunting is you know everybody has their traditions when it comes to deer hunting and stuff like that but i love turkey camp you know guys getting together going chasing birds you come back you're throwing meat on the grill drinking beer having a good time throwing cornhole and stuff i have a blast in turkey camp yeah i do too i absolutely love turkey hunting i am addicted to that um i love deer hunting but turkey hunting too like i said it is it, it's a lot of fun and to me there's watching the the sun come up dawn and coming you hit that little slate call and you just get <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. You know, you talk about uh, you know, you get in the tribe, uh, turkey hunting with a bow for the first time. Is there any kind of hunting that you've never done that you would like to try? Uh boar and bear. Bear. I always wanted to go on a bear hunt myself. Actually, me and a, a buddy that I work with, we've been trying to plan it for like two years to go up. Uh, we want to go up north somewhere like the Minnesota, Wisconsin range and get after them, but uh, we were kind of looking at some trips in Virginia, which would be a closer drive for us, but I think that would be exhilarating. I, you know, I've told people about that when, when we talk about like dream hunts and stuff like that. People are like, you're crazy. You want to chase a bear with a bow? I'm like, absolutely. I want to chase a bear crazy. with a bow. <laughs> that's not crazy. That's, that's excitement. That's absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Can you imagine a big old bear? I don't care if it's a black bear or a brown bear. It's a bear. That thing could tear you apart. you got a bow and, and an arrow, and you're a you're gonna put that thing down with that now. That is a dream. I would love to do that. And I hear that boar are also very hard to kill with uh, a bow and an arrow. And so that well, would be another fun. Well, thing. you're gonna be a little jealous because I'm getting to try that this um, year for the first time. Yeah. I'm, I'm going out to uh, South Carolina somewhere between. Uh, Christmas and New Year's, a guy I've actually had on the podcast before I met on my honeymoon, Antonio Marsh. He's a part of a big hunt club out in South Carolina. And uh, him and the, the, the club president, they're getting everything set up for these big hogs. And out there, you know, it's not a big thing. I mean, it's fun for them to kill them, but it's not a big thing like me and you might think it would be a big thing. Right. And they're getting it set up for me. So I'm going to come out there. I'm going to film some uh, well, boar hunt out there. I can't. I'm jacked up about it. That is exciting. I look forward to those videos. I'm like, <laughs> me too. You better send me a picture before you do <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> All right. You know, it's it's funny. You know, like when I had him on, we were talking about uh, deer hunting. And, you know, the deer are so much different from Indiana to South Carolina because they have a bunch of ag around here and they just get big bodied, you know, and they have I have good genetics around here as far as antler size goes and stuff like that. What kind of... Uh, Deer, I mean, are they big, big deer out there? Yeah, they're pretty stout. Uh, you know, antler size, you don't get the huge antlers out here. Um, my biggest was a six point, and it was a pretty decent sized deer. But uh, we're talking the neck on this thing, just wow. This massive. Just huge, and he was a big boy, a big boy. My dad, uh, a couple years back, uh, took a doe. And she was a big little thing. I mean, I tell you, she was a big deer. He got, I want to say, 61 pounds of meat off her. Wow. Yeah, isn't that wow, right? <laughs> right. So uh, they do, they, they're healthy out here. I don't know if it's because they're running up and down those mountains all the time or what, but I mean, they're they're healthy out here. Uh, uh, my buddy that we that filmed together and everything, he shot a 153-inch eight-pointer last year, and... It's one of the biggest body deer I've ever seen or had to deal with. Because you might say, "Wow, that's a big deer." Right. You, it's a really big deer when you when you're pulling it out, and it's just you and him. And it, you know, 
I was sore for like four days after pulling this thing out, and we it actually when he shot it, it was right on the river, and it jumped the river and went to the other side in a corn cut cornfield. And on the way back, we still had to go like probably three or four hundred yards to get it like up over the brim of the river and then up on the other side, which was a pretty good embankment up into the field where he could drive his truck. And I'm like, I don't know how we're going to get this thing on the other side. I mean, the two of, we might need like four other guys to do this. And, you know, we're sitting there kind of brainstorming. And I said, just throw it in the river. Let's float this thing. And I actually have video. I have video of us floating this deer down, down the river to the spot where he could drive his truck. And the landowner, he's a good buddy of ours, brought his tractor down hooked the chains up and pulled the deer up out of the river for us. There is no way we could have got this deer up out of that river. I mean, it was a good, I don't know, five or six foot drop, but when you're dealing with a 250 pound whitetail, I mean, it's hard to get him up out of there. You know, he's big. He's bigger, bigger than I was. Man, that is insane. That's, that's a great idea to use the river, though. That's right. <laughs> yeah, let's throw it in the river, but nah, that works for you. That is awesome, man. I love stories like that. That is great, but there's nothing like killing a big stout deer to show you just how out of shape you are. When you <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> it shows you how many times you need to stop drinking beer. Absolutely. And uh, we actually, had, I had been drawn for a state park hunt. We have deer reduction hunts in Indiana. So these state parks close down. They bring in hunters, and they want you to kill everything because they're, the deer are, you know, killing off a lot of the native, uh, you know, trees and stuff. I mean, they're just demolishing these state parks. And we had a state park hunt the next day. So we meet up in the morning to head to the state park, and I'm like, Dude, my back is killing me from dragging that deer last night. You know, we're we're putting you know, you know our climbers on to head up in the into the state park, and we get up into the t- top of this ravine to do the state park hunt. Me and him are both just pouring sweat. I'm like, I need a nap after this. You know, oh, just miserable. And there's one thing that, and one thing that I just cannot deal with is that heat. When it gets hot, yeah, I'm a cold, cold blooded type person i like it cold i always say colder the better i love the cold i mean when you start getting down to like zero degrees i'm getting happy you know right. i mean you can really work and you might move a little slower but you're not it doesn't seem to be as much work when it's that cold but when it's hot like that and you're sweating you're talking about this oh. well like a lot of people where, where we're from you know when they retired they want to go south they want to go to Tennessee, Georgia, Florida type of area and get away from that cold weather. I'm the opposite. I'm going north. Yep. I'm going Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin. I'm going somewhere up in there. I got to do a trip last year to Buffalo County, Wisconsin, and I absolutely fell in love with uh, the state of Wisconsin and just the northern life in general. Uh, drinking beer, eating cheese. Watching hockey and football, I am in like Flynn, buddy. <laughs> That's all me. Cool. You actually got to see the Northern Lights up there, huh? No, I didn't get to see the Northern Lights or nothing like that. I think that's a little further north than that, probably into okay. the Can- the Canada range. Okay. But north for me is Wisconsin, Michigan, all that up there. Yeah. But uh, it was unbelievable. It was right on the Mississippi River, uh, you know, and it even in October they got some snow and was getting some really cold temperatures, and then you start seeing like. Uh, the stuff on the river, like the I don't know exactly what what everything was, but you know you start seeing that that stuff freeze along you know the bridges and stuff like that along that the Mississippi is unbelievable. If anybody ever wants to go on a trip and they they want a, just a really cool place to go deer hunt, I highly recommend the state of Wisconsin. It is an unbelievable experience. Awesome man, well thanks for that info. I actually might have to check that out. Everyone, I always talk talk to you or they're talking iowa, iowa. oh yeah i was <laughs> you know i was listening to some i don't remember what podcast said this i was listening to the other day i was the big show you know you know everybody else is bush league compared to iowa right now you're on about a four to five year uh way to get in there because it's a a draw and you have to buy points actually preference points to get into that state but uh is there any states that you would like to check out or 
um, maybe even something do you get to travel there in Utah to hunt or do you just really hunt local uh, I'm only hunting local I'm only in state to the state of Utah uh, do you want to go check out Colorado for some elk and I would absolutely love Alaska I mean, oh I bet I mean talking salmon fishing one day killing a big bold moose the next day and then maybe a bear the next day <laughs> <laughs> no that would be really cool that would be um, amazing so alaska would be my top of the list go to uh mine would definitely be um probably i've always wanted to do the moose thing i've always wanted to shoot a moose and you know you get to see on the outdoor channel and stuff they go up there in the in the brush up there but i think that would be really cool you know you're cut off from civilization you know you're staying at a camp out in the middle of nowhere you probably had to take a you know bush plane into the place you know you ain't got no cell phone signal or nothing like that now is that something that you deal with in the mountains i mean obviously you said that you know you've got no cell service you just chuck it in the truck you take some kind of like satellite phone or anything that like if you were to get hurt out there or anything like that i don't uh i leave very good details of where i may be that doesn't always be the plan right i might tell my wife all right i'm going up to this area i'm making camp where i've always camped all the time i'm hiking down this ridge remember the old cabin remember the beaver blinds i'll be in that general area but you never know where it's really going to take you but they know i'll be in that general area but yeah i mean we lose service pretty easily here in utah i mean actually just today uh, we had a break in the weather it's been raining the last couple days we got rain and a major cold front coming in uh uh, this weekend, which is actually really good because I want to go hunt in the rut, and the rut is actually just getting in the swing, just barely, barely getting the swing right now. This cold front thing's gonna be great, but anyways, we had a, a break in the weather, and I took my motorcycle out and cruised up the canyon, and I mean, just took this little side road, probably went down it maybe a quarter, half mile, no service. I mean, it's pretty quick because you just got tall mountains everywhere, right. every which side of you, going down this narrow little windy road and. And so, it, yeah, I mean, even in some of these city hikes, that, you know, these little trails for, like, families and stuff like that, you'll actually be pretty spotty service, if any service at all. So I am very familiar and used to not having service. Um, I did use the satellite the GPS thing for a minute, but then I found Onyx Hunt, and I guess it worked pretty good, and I'm liking it so far. And Absolutely. So I go that route. As far as uh, getting hurt, you know, I mean, that's kind of the, the game you play, I guess. I I don't like to think about it, but it should always be in the back of your mind, really, because right. you could sprain an ankle, break a leg, anything. And, um, yeah, I mean, if that happens, I, yeah, you're kind of out there to just wallow. And, and <laughs> yeah, it, I don't, there's no better way to explain it. You're, you're stuck. You're, the terrain out there can be so crazy sometimes that if you broke an ankle you're probably not getting back out of there anytime soon and as cold as it gets in those mountains at night you know it'll be 50 degrees for the high but it can easily drop down to 20 to 15 degrees below at night and so you're going to freeze and it's always been in the back of my mind but yeah i don't have any sort of communication if something goes wrong i'm I'm pretty screwed. That's why we use it <laughs> with other people. But the last two years, I've been hunting completely solo, and uh, yeah, maybe I should reconsider that. Got <laughs> 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 me reconsidering. <laughs> <laughs> nah, don't. If you like a solo, buddy, you do you. You know that's you know we're talking about safety. Uh, that's one thing that we've gotten into the last couple of years uh, with the you know being in the tree stands. Uh, we wear our, our safety harness now, and uh, Hunter Safety Systems makes them incredible you know uh products that it's they're comfortable to wear hell mine's even got a usb port i can charge my phone phone and stuff on it you know very comfortable but it, that's something that i would probably consider if i was hunting in the mountains or something maybe something that like you said the gps deal where i could tell somebody where i was at if something went down or something because yeah, uh, i believe those uh, uh garments that makes them right yeah so i think i had one years ago I man years ago this is before all that front onyx and cool apps and cool cell phones and stuff i had an, an old just little joystick one but now they make them where you can actually text and communicate oh wow so, yeah i mean that would actually be a great idea for the train out here where you will lose service real quick so, mm -hmm. 
That's awesome. So we got to dip into some NASCAR before we get before we get off here. So uh, tell me, you said you've been a fan ever since you can remember. You know, you don't miss a race. That's how I am. I never miss a race. I'm pretty hardcore. Yes, sir. Uh, man, my dad watched NASCAR. I remember being a little boy, laying on my stomach, my hands under my chin, you know, just staring at that race, watching that 28 Havilene and Ernie Urban racing. And that there was you the, go. My driver when I was just little, you know. Right. <laughs> but I just, he always watched it. I loved it. I, I grew up watching it as I moved out on my own and started my own family and what have you. And I, I continue to watch it to this day. Uh, NASCAR has made some major changes over the years. And of course, new owners to drivers and all kinds of things. But yeah, absolutely. I never miss a race. In fact, my wife <clears throat> and family pictures <laughs> playoff race on Sunday. Oh. I told her, I said, I hope these pictures look great without me because I ain't going. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, it's kind of a family thing for us, too. Uh, I go over to my aunt and uncles and watch a lot of races, and uh, we actually go to quite a bit. Um, we used to go to a lot more than we do now. You know, I think COVID changed that a lot. Yeah. Like, the, I think the year before COVID, so 2019, uh, we went to several races. We went to yeah. uh, we went to Indy. We went to Bristol. We went yeah. to Michigan. Uh, Bristol is unbelievable. That if if you're a racing fan and you've never been to Bristol, do yourself a favor and go because it's an unbelievable trip. List. That's my bucket list to go to the greatest Coliseum, Thunder Valley, the Ingram oh, Valley yeah. track. Man. <laughs> <laughs> we had a, a buddy come all the way from Oklahoma to check it out for the first time. Actually, I met him off of, uh, uh, I call it NASCAR Twitter. You know, there's a lot of people that are kind of a community on there that everybody talks. And we've met a lot of people at the track, on Twitter, and meet up at the track and have a drink or camp with them and stuff like that. And it's an unbelievable community that everybody comes together. Kind of like the hunting community. You can you can meet a lot of cool people on there, too. Especially when I when I started doing this whole Blue River bow hunting thing, I met so many cool pe- cool people that I still communicate with almost on a daily basis. Me and uh, Adam Bowles from Hunt the Wild have we text fifty times in a day, you know, and it's cool because I'm honest honest with him about his show, and he's honest with me about mine and my content that I put out. Like he'll listen to this and he'll give me great feedback on it, and I, I, I'm. I'm happy that he gives me honest feedback. You know, somebody might say, great show, great show, but they didn't really even listen to the whole thing or may not even like it. And just kind of cool the uh, the partnerships and friendships you can make off social media. But Absolutely, man. I mean, look, look at us right now. Right, we're talking, drinking beer. And, uh, <laughs> this seems kind of cool. These guys got their thing together. I like this. I follow it on Twitter. You know, I'm constantly... Uh, Comment, uh, tweeting and retweeting tweets and tweet tweets and we get to chit chatting a little bit and, and here I am never yeah. making it to some podcast with you. Yeah. <laughs> no, that is cool. So so, media is really great to reach out and especially the NASCAR community. Um, that's typically what I do uh, for my Twitter is pretty much NASCAR and yeah. the NASCAR community and the people you meet are really really cool people. Absolutely, it's almost like a lifetime uh, friendship bond that you create. Oh, for sure. Um, shout out to the PETM boys, but it was the year that I got married. I did my bachelor party at Bristol, and uh, we were going back and forth on Twitter. And I said, where are you guys staying at? Let's have a beer. He goes, actually, we haven't booked anywhere to stay yet. And this is like, you know, three days before I leave. I said, hey, we already have a campsite paid for. There's going to be a ton of people there. Just just come stay with us. Next thing you know, he's... He's flown from uh, uh, Atlanta to Indy to stay with us. We went to the Indy 500 one year, and we went back to Bristol together. I mean, it's just it's really cool the friendships you can make off of. Awesome, man. Yeah, right. I love it. So let me ask you then, who's your yep. driver? You know, uh, Tony Stewart was um, a big, big icon around where I live because he grew up and started racing just down the road from where I'm at right now. So that was kind of my guy. If I could show you the rest of my room right now, you'd freak out. I got so many NASCAR memorabilia down here in my man cave. But uh, Tony Stewart was my guy. And then, you know, I just had trouble uh, picking another driver after that. So 
and, and I'm a huge dirt dirt racing guy, so I kind of stick with the dirt racing guys. I like Larson. I like yep. Bell. I like. I really like Bell. He's probably my favorite right now. Okay. But uh, the dirt racing guys, Briscoe, he's an Indiana boy. I, I just like the, the you know the small town dirt racing kind of guy. You know, maybe not the rich kid that got thrown into a ride or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> I know who you're talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. So I used to, you know, uh, be a, a big Jeff Gordon fan. I was a big, um, I, I, I liked them all. But, um, that's kind of how I am now. I, I, the same way I've learned as NASCAR changes and whatnot, these dirt track boys, how fun they are to watch. I watched Kyle Larson racing on dirt in the sprint cars. I've watched um, him go to the Crash School, was the Crash and Truck Series at that point, mm-hmm. and racing in Eldora. Oh yeah, I I never missed an Eldora truck race. I've been to every single one of them. Right, because it's only like an hour from my house. Actually, I wish you could see it right now. I have uh, the front end off of Harrison Burton's uh, Hunt Brothers pizza truck from Eldora in my man cave. Yep, it's covered in dirt. Actually, when we were putting everything down into my man cave when we bought this house, my grandma says, you want me to wash that the front end of that truck? I said, don't touch it. Yeah. She was going to wash all the mud off of it. I was like, don't do that. But, oh, that's so awesome, man. That's great. I'm, I'm, I might be a little bit jealous of that. <laughs> right. Do they have a lot of dirt tracks and stuff out there where you're at? Uh, no, we had a little local track, and they bulldozed it a few years back. I, don't, I still don't even know why they did it. I said it wasn't making money, but I, I don't buy that. But it was called RMR, Rocky Mountain Raceway. Uh, we have Layer H, Miller Spe- uh, Speedway, but that's uh, your road course track, more like indie and um, motorcycles, sports bikes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't go out there. I don't care for it much. Uh, we'll go right. to Nevada and watch some old dirt track races in Nevada. It's great racing up there, but them, them dirt tracks, that's where it's at. That's oh, absolutely. You know, I am very fortunate where I live. I have a lot of racetracks within an hour or two drive uh, from where I live that are just incredible. Like the biggest super late model race in the in the country for the entire year is like 45 minutes from my house, and it's I want to say it's this weekend or next weekend. I went last year, but I I, I'm, I probably won't get to go this year. I'm kind of hooked on these whitetails diving into that but uh it's called the winchester 400 super late models i mean some big big names have won it eric jones i mean just kyle bush i mean anybody that you can name they've won this race and it's 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 literally bristol but it's in a cornfield in indiana and doesn't have like the you know the stadium to it but it's the exact same track i swear so banking on front Oh yes. No way. No, it's um, actually it's kind of really cool that you say that. Uh, a few years ago, me and my wife were at dinner one night, and she says, "One of these days, I need you to just go with it." And I'm like, "What? You're? What are you talking about? You know?" She goes, "Just go with it." Little did I know she was going to be doing this for the next day. She wakes me up at seven o'clock in the morning, blindfolds me, puts me in the car. When I, when I take the blindfold off, I'm at Winchester Speedway. I'm like, yes, there's a race today. We're going to get to see the race cars today. You know, she goes, no, you're racing a car on no. this track today. I'm like, what do you mean I'm racing a car? I start freaking out, you know. So I had to take like a, a safety course on it and everything. But I got to run a 2010 cup car on Winchester Speedway. And it was unbelievable, man. Like, when you go through the corners, I couldn't imagine what it would be like racing with those guys at Bristol. But, like, when I went into the corner, like, if I wouldn't have had a harness on, you know, you know, belted into the seat, I'd have went out the window. I mean, I was literally just, like, literally would have fell right out the window. Wow. It was unbelievable. I got to do 10 laps, had a spotter and everything. It was real. It was one of the neatest experiences I've ever done. It's called the Rusty Wallace Racing Experience. Really? Okay, I was just going to ask, too, so what is this? Because I, I wish my wife was in, within earshot. Like, <laughs> take notes, take notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really cool, but I'm, I'm big time into racing. It's definitely something that I've even grew up grew up doing. A lot of my family members, I mean, we for years we had a NASCAR pool every week where everybody, you put in, say you can only do a max of four drivers, okay. but it's $5 a driver. 
and it's random draw. So if I came up and handed you ten bucks at whoever was running it, I reach down in the bowl and pull two drivers out, and that's who you have for the week. And if the the race pool doesn't fill up, that money would roll over to the next week. And we had it one one I think it was two years ago. We went like eight or nine weeks without anybody winning it was like six hundred dollars and my grandpa hit it i'm like are you kidding me (laughs) it's really cool yeah well i definitely uh, appreciate you coming on here and talking some hunting and some nascar man when whenever especially you say you're getting ready to hunt the rut out there in utah we'll have to get you back on and especially if you kill some big buck you know you had to come on and tell the story Absolutely, I'd be more than happy to. Uh, I, I was planning to leave um, the 22nd, and I was going to stay up there for the three days. That would be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, hunting the rut, and then uh, kind of get a good feel for it, and then you know go back and, and, and do this. So what's great here in Utah, a little bit backstory, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> August 28th is when our archery hunt opens, and it's hot. Oh, yeah, that's miserable. Uh, here. Uh, forecast it was like 98 degrees yeah no so i went walked, <laughs> walked around a little bit said nope <laughs> yeah i don't blame you on that but we have an extended archery hunt we extend our tree hunt allows us uh, bow hunters to come in closer to where like the city area almost like the wasatch front right here uh, from literally if i open up my garage door right now i see nothing but like, huge mountains right from me they're about a five ten minute drive from me that's uh, awesome. Right there. They're huge. They're beautiful. I love it. And hunting those mountains you can only do in the, with archery and during the extended archery. And what's great about that is that we get a lot of hikers throughout the summertime, the spring, and, except, and stuff. So these deer get used to people. They get used to the smell. They get used to seeing people. They don't startle easy. So I know people say, oh, well, that's not really hunting. That's not really hunting. But no, it is hunting because when you're going up there and you're still hiking miles and miles and miles, it's cold. You're freezing. You're walking through snow. Uh, you know you're carrying your pack and whatnot. And you're hunting an extended archery. To me, that's where it's at. It, it's fun up there, and not a lot of people up there either when it's that cold. Everyone else, like I'm noticing, everyone, I think everyone except for my my son-in-law has tagged out already. <coughs> that's awesome. Well, uh, t- tell everybody where they can find you at on social media. Well, uh, if you want to follow me on my Twitter. More than too, but it's more the NASCAR stuff. But I do, you know, I do retweet your stuff and some other hunting stuff. But that is um, Redneck underscore Aries. Uh, you can find me on my Instagram at bowhunter.80 or my Facebook, just uh, Jason Bird. That's awesome, buddy. Uh, thanks for watching, everybody, and listening. If you're, you know, on Apple or anything like that, and. Uh, check out we actually have just posted a new video today on our youtube uh the first week of bow uh bow hunting here in indiana pretty cool video uh opening day we had three smaller bucks come in to our uh setup and then a couple days later we had some does work the field a little bit but about a six minute video kind of showing what we went through the first week of season here in indiana that's what we're going to try to accomplish a little bit as the season goes on i'm going to try to post like a video per week if we have enough footage to do something like that but hopefully we have some more uh more footage to put out here soon we're trying to get some does down on the ground so we can start chasing these big boys once that that time hits but thanks for everybody for watching uh subscribe follow do all that kind of stuff Thanks, man. Y'all have a good day. Hey, thanks, Brett.